The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very good morning, everybody. Welcome to this special edition of Sportbox. I'm Jeff Cutmore, live from Westminster. Let's bring you your headlines. So the countdown is on. Just 17 hours to go until the UK formally leaves the EU, bringing to an end 53 years of membership of the bloc. The British government is planning celebrations around the country throughout the day. The World Health Organization declares coronavirus a world health emergency as the number of cases now rises to near 10,000. The main reason for this declaration is not because of what is happening in China, but because of what is happening in other countries. But the WHO stopped short of recommending travel and trade restrictions, with China prompting a turnaround on Wall Street and helping stocks end the month in the green. And in corporate news, Amazon crushes fourth quarter expectations, sending shares sharply higher in after hours trade on the back of record prime subscriptions and growth in its cloud business. So, very good morning, everybody. Welcome to this programming. Thank you for joining us on this special day as the UK prepares to leave the EU. A quick trip down memory lane. Uh, a little over three and a half years ago, uh, we were actually in this same spot in Westminster as the referendum results were coming through on the 23rd of June 2016. And at the time, you may recall, the pollsters got it very wrong. They saw the UK remaining in the EU. But as the vote started to come in, it became very clear that the country had gone in a different direction. The reaction in financial markets immediate, a 10% drop in the pound. The FTSE was forecast to fall at least 500 points at the start of the trading session. And already you saw some money shifting into gold and Bitcoin. Well, let's roll forward the clock. Here we are. We saw Theresa May come in and try to get the job done. Brexit will be Brexit. Brexit is Brexit. She kept using the same words over and over again and yet failed every time she tried to push her own agenda through the UK Houses of Parliament. And it took Boris Johnson ultimately and his new majority to actually push this issue forward. So right up to date, 11 o'clock tonight, the UK will formally leave after 53 years of membership. But not much will change, not much that people will actually notice because the rules largely remain the same and we go into a transition phase for the next 11 months. So those British MPs or MEPs lose their jobs and ultimately we begin to see talks start over trade negotiations for the EU and for the United States. And of course, that's what we're here at CNBC to do, to chart and track the ongoing transition process to try and figure out for you 
how you make money from it, and ultimately what it will mean for the UK alone as a nation state. Karen, very good morning to you. I know we've got a cast of characters all around the country this morning. So let me hand off from Westminster for a, for a moment. Thank you very much for that, Jeff. Uh, yes, lots of celebrations today. I know Boris Johnson himself will chair a cabinet meeting in Sunderland, the first city to declare support uh, for leaving the EU back in that June 2016 referendum. So lots of big events today. We have a cast right across the UK and Europe to mark this historic day. Juliana joins us from the UK border in Dover, while Sylvia is in Brussels for us this morning. Sylvia uh, and Juliana, let's just get up to speed with what uh, you're watching today, the events that are unfolding where you are. Juliana, Juliana, why don't you kick it off for us first? Well, thank you very much, Karen. I am here in Dover. The port of Dover is Europe's busiest ferry port. 17% of the UK's goods traded travel through this port. So very, very crucial to what happens on the trade front. Now, in terms of what I'm watching today, it is going to be business as usual, as you guys outlined. But uh, there is something sort of symbolic happening. Here there were pretty substantial preparations underway to prepare the area for a crash out of the UK, which of course we have avoided. Operation Brock was a traffic management system put in place here in Dover to try to manage uh, the, what would happen if we saw a major backup in lorries. There are two and a half million lorries that come through this port every year. So major, major implications if we were to have seen a uh, Juliana, thank you. We're going to leave it there for a moment. We seem to have a problem already with uh, some of the signaling functions. I don't know if that's related to Brexit at this point, but we'll try and sort that line out to you for you. Uh, meantime, uh, let's just come back to the events that are unfolding. Brexit will signal the dawn of a new era. That's what UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson will tell the nation in a pre-recorded television address tonight. According to extracts released by his office, Johnson will also call for unity and will describe Brexit as a moment of real national renewal and change. A quick look at Sterling. This has been how many investors have been expressing their Brexit trades. And you can see how we are perched this morning. We are currently trading 130.96. Uh, fairly flat trade. Uh, some of this support, the 130 handle, and talk about support coming from the Bank of England this week, deciding not to cut interest rates despite some weakness. And, and Jeff, that's the point. As we count down to the negotiations as they kick off in uh, a matter of uh, hours, effectively, what we've got is a, a fairly weak economy. Some reports of a Boris bounce, although not seeing a lot of evidence of that because we've got these global events around coronavirus now playing out and uncertainty coming back into the mix. Just talk us through the economy and what we stand to play for at this point as we try to seek those trade agreements with Europe, but also the United States. Well, it's fascinating, isn't it, Karen? The debate between those who wanted to remain and those who wanted to leave is ultimately over and we have a clear path ahead of us. But that's about as solid and firm as you can be with the forecasts because ultimately the UK, whether you call it Brexit or whether you put it down to the fact that we are at the end of a long economic cycle and a period since the global financial crisis that has benefited from stimulus from the central banks, but ultimately lacks global aggregate demand. Whatever the reason you ascribe to the current state of the economy at the moment, it is clear that there is some generalized weakness. We saw from the retail sales, particularly from that busy Christmas period, that actually the high street isn't as strong as it could be at this point. We also uh, know 
from the, the data that we've seen from the Bank of England that they apparently feel that there is a need at some point to provide additional stimulus uh, to this economy through cutting interest rates. It felt like yesterday's announcement from Mark Carney was quite a a, a narrow call as to whether we did need uh, a reduction in interest rates at this stage. And we'll we'll leave it to the economists to argue whether that would have done anything significant at this point. But the key to whether that Boris bounce, if it really exists, can continue is going to be, as you point out, the mood and the character of the negotiations we see on trade with the EU and other countries. Uh, I listened to uh, Mike Pompeo uh, a few hours ago starting to sound a little bit hardball about what the UK can expect, particularly when it comes to uh, the area of agriculture, where we know that there are some differences of opinion over standards and food quality. And of course, Huawei, which has dominated uh, some of the news headlines this week, as the UK has tried to walk this very careful tightrope between keeping Huawei technology in the 5G infrastructure that's being created at the moment, or backing away from it to please the Americans who feel that there is a problem with the security aspect of what Huawei intends to deliver at this stage. Many open questions still to be resolved. And then, of course, it comes back to the question of what happens in Brussels with the ongoing discussions over a trade deal. And almost to a man and a woman, all the senior political figures that we spoke to in Davos just a week ago from the EU from EU countries appear to be suggesting that this 11-month timetable for the completion of a full and comprehensive trade deal is a pipe dream as far as uh, Boris Johnson and the British government are concerned. There are, of course, other ways to skin a cat here. We could go for smaller deals in specific industry areas, but it remains to be seen whether Brussels is willing to go down that road. A good point perhaps to throw out to Sylvia then, who is in Brussels, who can perhaps help help us understand just how open the mood is there in terms of perhaps a a salami slicing approach to these trade negotiations. Sylvia. So, Jeff, this is an unprecedented moment for the EU, as you mentioned, not just about the fact that one of its members is leaving for the first time ever, but of course, they have never done this before. And so we don't know what to expect when it comes to the next phase of the Brexit process. But let me describe for a, for a bit how Brussels is at this stage. This is a very pro-European city. The majority of the officials working here at the European institutions believe in the European project and And so the feeling overall here is very much of sadness. And yesterday I actually spoke with different lawmakers working here at the European Parliament, the building you see behind me. And this is what they had to say about Brexit Day. It's elation because we're finally here after three, almost three and a half years. There is a very large Eurosceptic block within the European Parliament. So we've given them voice as well. Firstly, very sad, but... Our heartbreak is balanced by heartwarming that we've had because of our colleagues 
our friends from across Europe who've shown such warmth and solidarity and sympathy with us over these few days. I feel sad and that's not surprising really. Uh, yesterday was a particularly emotional day. Um, we had all the MEPs, well pro-European MEPs in this parliament who are the majority, standing up singing Old Lang Syne together. It was a really touching moment, very moving. Um, and the whole day had been like that, very emotional from start to finish. We said farewell to our colleagues in our political group for New Europe and they were all very lovely. I will certainly miss the concrete person, but also the, the generally very global mindset, which we don't always have on the continent. I hope this will, they will leave it with us. This will be a legacy that will, uh, that will stay. It's a very emotional moment. Uh, a sad moment, I would say, in the history uh, of Europe. Uh, what can we do? Uh, damage control. So today we're watching 73 British lawmakers leaving the European Parliament. They're ending their political careers here in Brussels as the UK loses its seat at the EU's table. Another practical change that we'll witness today is the fact that the Union Jack flag that you see over my shoulder will be removed from outside the European Parliament and taken to the European Museum here in Brussels. And in contrast to what we're expecting today in the UK, there are no celebrations uh, taking place on this side of the English Channel. Right now, European officials are already focused on the phase two of the Brexit process, because as we've mentioned before, indeed today is Brexit day, but of course, it's not going to be the end of Brexit. Karen. Sylvia, yes, the Union Jack to be folded up and put in a safe place. Uh, thank you very much for the coverage. Let's bring in Guy Foster, Group Head of Research at Bruin Dolphin. We've seen some nostalgia there, some sadness, a few tears. But if you look at the stock market, and the way assets in the UK are handling Brexit Day, close to 7,400 on the FTSE, 130 yeah. on pound, which is stable. And we're still at the front of the queue, according to Mike Pompeo, when it comes to a post-Brexit trade deal with the United States. This is not too bad if we talk about the type of exit we could have had, right? Yeah, but then I guess we ha haven't really completed the process of leaving. So this day is a sort of, you know, a, a very symbolic one for obviously lots of people on, on both sides of the argument, but it's not one of any sort of material significance from an economic uh, perspective. What we think now is that attention is going to shift to what kind of uh, what kind of deal we get, which is kind of one of the points your, your previous piece was addressing. And uh, we'll get a return to the kind of brinksmanship that has marked other other phases of uh, of Brexit, and that's going to be the thing that the market has to uh, digest all over again. Is that true? Because already, if you look at the agenda that's been set out, financial services clearly a big one for many in the markets, and there's hope that there'll be some sort of negotiation that could be finalised by the end of June, which would bring at least some certainty to one major sector of the UK economy. Do you think that script is not going to play out? Is that what you're saying? You have some doubt about the ability to ink these types of arrangements sector by sector? Uh, I'm not so concerned about financial services, but it more be in, uh, in, in the sort of classically tradable goods um, where the single market is so uh, integrated and where you're going to have an actual hard uh, financial impact if we end up on WTO terms. So that's the, that's the thing which I expect that the UK government is going to want to give the impression that if necessary, it will ha be prepared to accept those terms. And the European Union will also want to give the impression that it will be willing to impose those terms. And that kind of brinksmanship will, will 
begin, I think, in the coming weeks um, and certainly build up until that June deadline for when you would at least allegedly need to agree an extension. We've got Jeff for you. Guy, let me uh, jump in from uh, Westminster here. As I was saying earlier on in the report, um, as the votes were coming in, we saw sterling, which was actively traded at that point, immediately fall around 10% here. There's been a lot of talk about how we might move into a new trading range this year now that we are making some progress on the technicalities around Brexit. But I've also seen some strategists talking about a, a 120 bottom end end for sterling against the US dollar if these EU negotiations don't go well. What have you got penciled in for the current range and what is your forecast as to where we may go upper and lower end? To be honest, I think we're, we're kind of in that range at the moment. I mean, we have got, if you look at positioning, uh, the market is pretty neutral on sterling. Maybe it's actually slightly long. There's no real risk premium built into it, which is why I would expect that uh, the, 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 the risks are skewed to the downside in the, in the immediate term. But there's just a slight undervaluation um, uh, on, based upon our model. Um, so, you know, I think we, could, we, we will struggle to push decisively ahead of 130, but uh, frankly, I don't see loads of downside with most of the currency pairs, not just sterling, actually looking, you know, abnormally um, reasonably valued against each other. Guy, thank you very much that we're going to park the conversation there for just a moment as we push on to talk about other big events playing out that have the potential to impact the macroeconomic environment. That's coronavirus. The World Health Organization has declared that the coronavirus outbreak is a global health emergency. At least 213 people have died in China, mostly in Hubei province, and nearly 10,000 cases have been detected. The WHO Director General said the spread of the virus to 18 countries is the main reason behind the declaration. The health chief praised China's response to the emergency. And it was those comments that moved markets. I want to talk you through some of the action that we saw on Wall Street and uh, across the Asian markets today. Effectively, what we've got uh, across the region, uh, Taiwan bouncing up six-tenths of a percent. Japanese stocks also showing some appetite uh, in session today. But Reading still being posted for the Hong Kong market and also for South Korea. So these markets, what you've got, uh, the bounce of near 1% for Japan, it uh, is in context where you've seen this market come off about two and a half percent over the course of the week. So some of the steep selling we saw embedded over this trading week has simply not been recovered as investors take stock of what we've got. And this human to human transmission of the virus tells us we're not at peak levels yet. Uh, investors are waiting to get to that point as they weigh up the impact for the uh, environment. And some of the forecasts now, JP Morgan shaved its forecast for global growth by 0.3 percentage points for this quarter to reflect this growing impact that they are seeing from the virus. Let me take you to Wall Street. It was curious as we saw that global health emergency warning that uh, label that the WHO has been fairly reluctant to put on the virus until they saw the overall impact outside of China. That label was actually positive for the markets because it came with comments suggesting the WHO is not uh, calling for restrictions to China. And when we spoke to them earlier in the week, you may recall that they were saying they, they didn't want travel restrictions because it stops the flow of people across those official borders where they can take temperatures and they can check what is taking place. 
case. But uh, the markets took some of the comments as a positive sign, the dealing that uh, Chinese authorities have at this point with the virus, all the uh, different measures rolled out, building hospitals, shutting down cities. This has been praised by WHO and it put a bid back in the markets. The other big effect really coming after hours for Amazon, blowout numbers from that company, another trillion dollar company likely to materialize in the trading session today. So there is a bit of green underlying some of these boards. Meantime, an after-hours surge means a $12 billion milestone for Amazon. CEO Jeff Bezos will break down those numbers a little bit later in the show. If you enjoy Squawk Box Europe, check out The Brave Ones podcast. The series explores the rise of some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs. Through exclusive interviews with family, friends and colleagues, The Brave Ones podcast features stories of determination, resilience and ingenuity. Available on Apple Podcast, Spotify and Google Play. The Brave Ones podcast presented by Credit Suisse. It's a busy day still on the earnings front here in Europe. Signify, the lighting company, releasing fourth quarter results. And uh, the headline number for the fourth quarter, 93 million euro net profit. When it comes to uh, the revenue lines, uh, fourth quarter revenue crossing of 1.75 billion. Consensus was for 1.78 billion, so thereabouts when it comes to the numbers. The adjusted EBITDA at 232 million consensus was for 231 million so very close to some of these targets i want to get into the numbers uh, with the ceo eric rondelat joins us the ceo of signify eric nice to speak to you again only days since we last spoke in davos and i want to pour through these numbers with you just give us a sense of how you thought that final quarter stacked up for your company Yes, good morning, Karen. Some uh, highlights of the quarter and the full year. So first of all, we've continued to increase the number of connected light points by 12 million uh, in 2019. When you look at the LED-based activities for Signify, back six years ago, it was 26%. We ended up this year at 80% or close to 80%. At the same time, all our businesses in Q4 are profitable and double-digit profitable. At the same time, we've generating a strong free cash flow, not only for Q4, but for the full year, at $529 million, which is 8.5% of sales. That positions us also uh, with uh, a dividend and a proposal for the dividend of uh, 1.35 cents, uh, 1.35 euro uh, per share, which is a 3.8 improvement uh, versus the previous year. So as you can see, the transformation is going on. Our strategy is successfully executed. And for us, we're closing a six-year of consecutive improvement on the operating margin. I just want to get into some of the caution I feel like uh, is coming through or being expressed in the numbers today because you've mentioned that your free cash flow is at the highest level since the IPO, yet then you go on to talk about M&A having a a lower priority in the business and that you'll be using some free cash to uh, try and pay down debt to reduce those debt levels this year. So how cautious are you? Well, we've announced uh, in uh, the last quarter uh, a big acquisition in the US, uh, which is the acquisition of Cooper Lighting. Uh, We're still confirming that uh, we are on track uh, to close it uh, in Q1 and 2020. And so we are just changing 
uh, our priorities and our priority is to uh, deleverage um, because we're going to increase the leverage close to 2% with that acquisition as it is fully uh, debt funded. But it is also immediately EPS accredited uh, in mid-teens for the first year and uh, in the mid-20s uh, for the second year. So we're just changing our priorities. Uh, we will look at acquisitions, but of a smaller size, uh, bolt on, and our priority when it comes to cash uh, will be first uh, to give a dividend that we see uh, increasing in the coming years and as well as deleveraging um, because of that acquisition. Eric, it's been almost a week uh, to exactly the same time of day since we spoke. And since then, uh, events around coronavirus are swiftly moving with uh, a number of countries now dealing with the crisis. How does this impact your production and possibly even your demand story this year? So at this point in time, we're just reviewing uh, all uh, the numbers. But let me tell you that our first focus is about our people. So China is our country number two. We have a bit below 8,000 people. Uh, in the country. So these people are being monitored on a daily basis. You know, most of them are at home. So we know where they are and we connect with them on a daily basis. Uh, they were sent some protected equipment and, you know, gel for the hands. And uh, we're very happy to recall at this point in time that there's no infection uh, within uh, our workforce. Now, when it comes to what's going to happen next, we are following uh, the Chinese government's recommendation, which is that we are extended uh, the holidays and we're reviewing the numbers as far as business is concerned uh, today. But, but there's nothing that I can tell you, uh, nothing is, uh, is totally defined yet. We're just working on it. You know, there's a lot of uncertainty of what's going to happen in the coming days, but we're working on it. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.